Bibles to Psalm 106. Psalm 106 is our text. As you're turning there, I just want to tell you that the, the Bible is not a book about righteous people doing righteous things and gaining God's favor for the good deeds they've done. People often think that. It's a story of, of heroes that you can lift up and see and, and emulate their lives. Now, there is, there is some to that that we can emulate lives of, uh, of the people, but primarily the Bible is about wicked people in their sin finding God's favor through God's grace. Over and over and over and over again. That's the pattern that you see. In fact, I, I just mentioned a kids club here, here recently, just in my announcements. But, you know, so kids come. It's, it's very interesting. These kids aren't deluded by church in general. They just have learned the Bible through me reading the Bible to them and singing the Bible. And as we go through, we, we read the, the Gospel Storybook Bible. We've read through it maybe three or four times now. As we read through it, and, and as, as sometimes these stories have come new to them, They've read enough of the Bible that I say, okay, well, here's an example. You think this is an example of someone who's righteous, who does a lot of good things? They, they say, no, because they know the pattern of the Scripture. Is that it's always people who are broken in their sin who God uses in great ways as they just believe and trust in the Lord. And so you just think about it. Abraham. Abraham, we have no idea even whether he was a believer or not when he was called from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was from an idol-making family, and he was a deceiver, but yet, as he believed and trusted God, God counted that as righteousness. Or you think about Jacob. He was a scoundrel. He, he cheated his brother out of his blessing and his birthright. And given Jacob and Esau, we might like Esau better than Jacob, but Jacob was the chosen one of the two. God used him. He became the, the father of Israel. Or whether it was Moses. Moses was a murderer. Do you realize that? He was a murderer. God used him. Or, or David. David was a murderer. And an adulterer. On grace. Or New Testament heroes like Peter. Impetuous Peter. Who denied Christ on three occasions. After promising, I won't deny you. Three times denied Christ. Or Paul. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, acted as a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor against the people of God. And yet, for all these people, the story is always the same. They're, they're sinners saved by grace. That's what the story is about. Because the, the reality of the Bible is that in Genesis 1, we have a perfect creation, 1 and 2. And then in chapter 3, Adam sinned and it messed up the whole world. Now we are sinners by nature, just being born. David said, Psalm 51, I'm born into sin. I'm born into the sphere of sin. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. All of us willingly choose to sin. The result, Ephesians 2.1 says that we are children of wrath under the wrath of God. But the incredible thing is this, is that God shows His favor towards sinners. In fact, He loves to show His favor towards broken sinners. When Jesus came to earth, He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. And there's some New Testament illustrations of this. Think the prodigal son. The older son was selfish, 
indulgent, sinful, wasteful, goes and wastes that. And yet when he returned to his father, grace and mercy was lavished upon him as the father killed the fattened calf, had a feast for him and celebrated. My son who was lost has now been found. It was the son at home who lived kind of righteously, who was the problem. But it's the one who was broken, who came back. Or remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? Caught in the very act. Probably pulled out of bed. Rather than condemning her in her sin, Jesus showed her mercy by saying this, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And, and they all left. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? He says, they're gone. He says, neither I accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Just an illustration that Jesus reaches to the sinner or the, the parable he tells the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee stands up and says, God, I thank you that I'm so righteous. As the publican who didn't even lift up his eyes to the temple, beat his breast, he said, that's the one that goes home justified. Jesus loves justifying the sinners. God welcomes sinners into his presence. It's the story of the Bible. Remember when the woman in the city was a sinner, came to the same home where Jesus was and the Pharisees and the she was there weeping and wiping his feet with her tears and wiping them away with her hair and anointing his feet with perfumes. And, and the, the Pharisees were saying, oh, if Jesus really were a prophet, he'd know what type of woman this was. And Jesus was a prophet and knew very well what sort of woman she was. And he welcomed her into his presence. Because God welcomes sinners. And the Pharisees hated that fact. That's why they despised Jesus and called him, oh, he's that friend of sinners. How awful can it be? But when sinners repent of their sin, cry to God for mercy, mercy is ready to be dispensed. When grace, by grace, we come to faith in Jesus Christ, He transforms us. He transforms us into trophies of grace. Ephesians 2.10 And in many ways, this really is our function throughout all eternity. Realize that all of you who trust in Christ who will die someday, either martyred or die of old age or some disease or some accident. However, you'll, you'll be in God's presence enjoying His pleasures forevermore and your presence in heaven will be a reminder to all of creation of God's grace. You will be grace on display. Ephesians 2.7 We are saved by grace so that in the ages to come, God might show forth the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, for ages to come, anybody who's in heaven will be a testimony of God's compassion upon our lives. Nobody will get to heaven and be in heaven and it's like, oh, look at how good he was. Yep, he earned this or this person earned this. Our presence in heaven will be an opportunity to proclaim forever the grace of God. That's exactly what Ephesians 2.7 says. In the ages to come, He might show forth for eternity in the future the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Well, my message this morning is entitled, Objects of Compassion. Because that's what our text shows us this morning. Israel was an object of God's compassion. Psalm 106 is going to take us through the history of Israel, demonstrating how unworthy Israel was. It's a history of sin and failure and disobedience and rebellion. And time and time again, God demonstrates that He has compassion towards Israel. And rather than destroying them, which He could have and perhaps should have many times over, they receive grace. In fact, in Psalm 106, look at uh, verse 46. 
In the NAS, it says this, is that he also made them objects of compassion. They were objects of compassion. That's who we are. We are objects of compassion. My message this morning has three points, practically identical to my points these last couple of weeks, like Psalm 103 and Psalm 105 and Psalm 106. And had I preached Psalm 104, it's all the same thing. It begins with praise. It ends with praise. In the middle, it gives reasons for praise. That's how all these psalms are. Psalm 106 begins in the morning. Pray, in the beginning, praise the Lord who give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness everlasting. And look at how it ends. Verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. And everything in between speaks of the sinfulness of Israel, but how God's grace was greater and showed grace and compassion towards her. Well, I want to read the whole psalm to put it all in mind so you kind of get that sense. Praise the Lord. Israel's sinful, but God is compassionate. Praise the Lord. Psalm goes like this. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Or who can show forth all His praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, in Your favor towards Your people. Visit me with Your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of Your chosen ones that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, He saved them for the sake of His name that He might make His power known. Thus He rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. And He led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So He saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed His words. They sang His praise. They quickly forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So He gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. And when they'd become envious of Moses in the camp and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in their company and flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore He said that He would destroy them. Had not Moses, His chosen one, stood in the breach before Him to turn away His wrath from destroying them? Then they despised the pleasant land. And they did not believe His word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, He swore to them that He would cast them down in the wilderness. That He would cast their seed among the nations and scatter them in the land. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked Him to anger with their deeds and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and interposed. So the plague was stayed and it was reckoned to Him for righteousness to all generations forever." 
They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah. So they went hard with Moses on their account because they were rebellious against his spirit. And he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations. They learned their practices. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlots in their deeds. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hand of the nations and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them and they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel and sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry and he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting, even to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, like Psalm 105, which we looked at last week, this is known as a historical psalm. It looks at the history of Israel, covers much of the same history that Psalm 105 does, focusing much of the time on the exodus and the wanderings. However, the perspectives of Psalm 105 and 106 are radically different. Psalm 105 was, was all about the faithfulness of God, how God was faithful to his covenant, confirming it on numerous occasions, protecting his people, bringing them out of slavery, caring for them in the wilderness. There's one perspective of history, and Psalm 106 gives a different perspective of history from a human standpoint, from Israel's standpoint. The emphasis here is not upon the faithfulness of God, but upon the sinfulness of Israel. And time and time again in Psalm 106, we read of failings of the people, how they, they sinned at the Red Sea and sinned in the wilderness and sinned against Moses and rebelled against the Lord and worshipped the golden calf and joined in idol worship, failed to destroy the nations of the people of the land as God commanded and how angry God came, became of their sin. And rightly so, because God hates sin. And He's angry at our sin as well. But His anger never succumbed to totally destroying His people, Israel. And it's against that backdrop of Israel's sin that the compassion of God shines forth. The, the emphasis here is that they sinned so badly God could have, should have, would have destroyed them but he didn't because of his compassion and his grace. There are two great themes in the Bible. Right? There's man's sin and God's compassion. In fact, that's why Jesus came is because we are, we are sinners and we're in need of the compassion of God. That God would come in his grace. And God loved the world that he sent Jesus to come and bear the wrath of what he, we deserve. We simply need to repent and believe. And my prayer in this psalm is that it would help shine greater light in our lives of the glories of the gospel of Christ. It would give us hope. I mean, if, if these people received a measure of compassion, how much more can we receive a measure of compassion? First Timothy 1.15, Paul speaks about how, how he's the greatest of sinners. This testimony is true that Christ came and died for sinners, among whom he says, I'm the foremost. 
in order that by my example, we might not lose hope. In other words, Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners, but I found grace. And so likewise here, we see Israel's worst of sin, and yet they found grace in God. And my hope and prayer is that just we might love and cherish the gospel again. Just the grace of God in Israel's life and His grace toward us as well. Well, let's, let's dig in. My first point is this. Praise and prayer, verses 1 through 6. Praise in verses 1 through 3. Prayer in verses 4 through 6. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. It's the, it's the sovereign theme of the song. It's just the, the loving kindness of a Lord that is everlasting, that even endures and puts up with sinful people. And nowhere does the loving kindness of a Lord show itself better than when people rebel and God still shows His steadfast love to them. And we're going to see the psalm again and again and again. We're going to see this word nevertheless on a couple of occasions. Though Israel is sinful, nevertheless God extended compassion to them. And He will extend the same compassion to you to repent and believe and trust in Christ. And in fact, Psalm 106 should show us just the greatness of His compassion, that His grace should stun us. In fact, that's the point of verse 2. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Or who can show forth all His praise? It's a rhetorical question. None of us can speak of all the mighty deeds of God. We, we, we can come, we can try, but... The fact of God's grace, no one can fully do this. No one can. In fact, the songs we sang today just, just speak about just how can we describe it? I just was thinking Ryan does such a great job at choosing these hymns. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my Sovereign die? Question mark. Did my Savior come and bleed and die? Did He really do that? And would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? It's a question. Just just songing, just say, is this really true? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Is this really true? Verse 2, the same thing. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Who can show forth his praise? Well, let's try and let's walk in His ways. The blessed one is the one who walks righteously. Verse 3, How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. The righteous people are blessed. It's not to say that all are ultimate condemned sinners. There's, there's grace when you find grace to walk in righteousness. There's the praise. Let's look at the prayer. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor towards your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory in your inheritance. Here's a prayer for grace. He's saying, include me in the compassion of God. See, as the Lord shows compassion to the nation, the psalmist basically says, I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. So, right, remember me in Oh, Lord, in your favor towards your people, visit me with your salvation, right? When your salvation's coming to the nation, remember me. Right? When you're pouring out your grace, let me drink from the same well. Don't pass me by. Uh, I just picture the blind man who's on the road and Jesus is passing him by. And what does he say? He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they say, But he says, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Jesus, have mercy on me. And again, it's not because of merit. We see that in verse 6. We've sinned like our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've behaved wickedly. In other words, as I look upon the sin of Israel, 
And as you look upon the sin of Israel, let's not think, oh, how much better I am than Israel. Uh, I'm not involved in those kind of sins. No, verse 6 brings it right to us. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. So as we work through the sins of Israel, I, I want you not to look at them and despise them, but I want you to say, you know what, in many ways I'm just like them. I have sinned and committed wickedness, committed iniquity as well. And, and I want you to, as we go through this, I want you to see your own sin and rejoice in God, the compassion that comes. Well, here's my second point. I've called it, He is compassionate. Now, I've not zeroed in on God's compassion because it's the major theme in these verses, because it's not. I mean, the, the predominant, by space, major theme in these verses is the sin of Israel. However, I have identified God's compassion here in these verses because it's the point of the people of the sin of Israel is that God showed compassion towards them. They're objects of compassion, verse 46. So the, the point is Israel is so sinful, but God is more gracious on top of that. And I focused on God's compassion because it is the very thing that's going to lead us to praise. The psalm is all about praise. Praise in the beginning, praise in the end. It can't be praise in the beginning. Oh, look at how sinful Israel is. Praise in the end. It's, it's the grace of God which gives us reason then to praise Him. That's why I look there, the compassion of God. We're going to look here as we zip through this psalm, the time we have remaining, eight sins that we're going to identify in these verses. Eight sins of Israel that come just like waves upon waves upon waves. Right, the first one is going to begin here in verse 7. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. This takes us back to the time of the ten plagues when God performed these ten mighty miracles to demonstrate His power to the Israelites, to the Egyptians, that there's no question of God who He is. These ten plagues of the water in the Nile was turned to blood and then the, the land swarmed with frogs and gnats and insects and, and the livestock just died. And there was boils throughout the land. There was devastating hail that came. Darkness fell and finally the angel of the Lord went through and picked out all the firstborn from the palace to the slave house to the livestock yard. Picked out the firstborn. It was clear and obvious. It was, it's the power of God that was doing this. It wasn't just natural occurrences took place by chance. These started at Moses' command and stopped at Moses' command by the mighty hand of the Lord. And they were demonstration of God's power. And Israel knew this. And Egypt knew this. And so they left Egypt. But as they went out, they found themselves in a difficult spot. The Red Sea was before them. Pharaoh's armies behind them. And in Exodus 14... We hear that the people were very frightened and they cried out to the Lord. Listen to what they said. They said four questions. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt? You've taken us away to die in the wilderness. Mass graves, what they were thinking. Second question. Why have you dealt with us in this way? Why have you taken us out from comfort and brought us out here? We're going to die. Third question. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Fourth question, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. They're rebelling. In fact, this is the sin of rebellion. Not trusting God, not trusting His ways, but when you're in a pinch, just lashing out at God's people, God's leader, at God Himself. What is this you've done? 
And rather than destroying them on the spot, we see this first nevertheless. There are just two of them in this text. Nevertheless, verse 8. He saved them for the sake of his name that he might make his power known. He already made his power known in ten plagues, but he's going to make his power known another way. Remember, Moses lifted up his staff. The sea was parted. Israel passed through on dry land. The Egyptians, they attempted it, were drowned. It's making his power known. That's exactly what the psalm describes. Verse 9. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries and not one of them was left. And they believed his words. They sang his praise. Exodus 15. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. Here's the chorus. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Yes, we are free, right? We're, we're past. We're out of Egypt. And now God has delivered us. Praise be to God. And you'd think that Israel would forever remember the loving kindness and compassion and grace and goodness of the Lord. But he forgot. In fact, that's what verse 7 says. They did not remember your abundant loving kindnesses, but instead rebelled. I just press that to you. Are there ways in your life today you're rebelling against the Lord? Not liking His ways. Grumbling at your circumstances. Not remembering the past kindnesses of God. We've sinned like our fathers. We've been like that. And we read, verse 13, how they quickly forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them the request and sent a, a wasting disease among them. You can read about this in um, Numbers chapter 11. Though God consistently provided manna for them without fail. Six days he provided enough for them and that sixth day he provided double amount. If they'd take too much, it would rot. If they, they took some on the Sabbath, it was rot. It wasn't there. Provided for exactly, right? Time after time after time. And they said, I'm tired of this bread. I'm tired of the provision of God, is what they said. I want more. I want meat. Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Right? We're better off there than we are here. This is the sin of discontent. And I think this is something that we can battle with easily because we come to where we are and we're just satisfied there, but we always want more. There's something in us that always wants more. You know, finances, you can see that. Coveting, you see that. I don't care how much wealth you have, you always want more. I don't care what circumstance, how good you have it. There's something we always want it better. We always want it better. And here, likewise, they wanted meat. They didn't like this bread anymore. They're tired. So God gave them quail, more meat than they could ever eat. He says, you want it? Here it comes. And so much so, they were sick of it. It was too good for them. They got sick of it. Struck the people with a severe plague. And you thought that Israel would have learned their lesson, right? Okay, all right, we'll be content with the Lord. No, but on and on it goes. They continued in their sin. Dathan and Abiram were jealous of Moses. Approached him saying, Moses, you've gone far enough. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. Why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? I said, Moses, why, why are you special? Isn't everybody holy? And that's the context of verse 16, when they became envious of Moses in the camp. They're they envious that God was using them because they wanted to be used. In fact, they just said it's a level playing field here. This is sin of jealousy. Wanting what someone else has. Not being content. The earth opened up. Verse 17, swallowed up Dathan. And engulfed the company of Abiram. A fire blazed in their company and the flame consumed the wicked. 
To make a long story short, what I love about this story is these people come and rebel against Moses. Moses doesn't strike back at them or hit them or, or say, no, 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 you're wrong. He, said, he says this, right? Do you remember? The, remember? It's a number 16. He says, okay, this is the way you're going to know if God sent me or not. This is the way you're going to know if I indeed am special in God's eyes to lead you. I've been placed in this position of leadership. If Korah, Dathan, and Abiram die the death of everyone... Right? They go, they go the way of, of old age or death. and you, you know what? God has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and if the ground opens up and swallows them up and all that is theirs, and they descend into Sheol, then you'll understand that these men have spurned the Lord. It's pretty radical, but that's what Moses said. And you know what happened? They didn't die of old age. They didn't die in some accident. They died because the earth opened up and swallowed them whole. God was gracious to purge evil from the people of Israel. And these were evil people and they burned them up because they were jealous of God's anointing. Well, in verse 19, we get another sin. This time we go back to Exodus chapter 32. We see the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry. We see Moses up on the mountain meeting with God. Moses was gone for too long. The people's time. They grumbled against Aaron and said, Where's Moses? We don't know. But come and make us God for us that we can worship this God who brought us up from the land of Egypt. But we don't know where Moses went. And here's the story. Verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. And exchanged their glory for an image of an ox that eats grass. And they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Wonders in the land of Ham and awesome things by the Red Sea. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. Moses meeting with God. But uh, they said, where was he? Now, Now, earlier, Moses had gone up and come back down, presented Israel with the law. And as he read the law, the people said, all that the words of the Lord have spoken, we will do. Exodus 24, verse 3. And then Moses read a little bit more and they said, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Exodus 24, 7. And here it is. Maybe a bit over a month. Moses gone. They totally forgot about it. It's like 40 days is too much. And they fell into blatant idolatry. All these words they said they'd keep, they transgressed the first, second commandment. Do not make any other gods. They failed right there at the top. God was ready to destroy them, but Moses stood in the gap and pleaded for them. That's what verse 23 is about. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, the chosen one, stood in the breach before him. To turn away his wrath from destroying them. Here's the grace of God. They deserve to be killed. Because they had false gods. God spared their lives. And you'd think that things would change. Repent, turn to their sins. But you know things never never change. And how like us that is, right? Maybe we experience some, some marvelous grace of God. I remember a friend of mine in high school. I grew up with him at church. And... Um, he, whatever, went off and, you know, his, his, his job, I think even today, is that he works in a, in a band banging drums in some Las Vegas show. 
And uh, he was kind of off doing his drummer thing. But one late night, who knows what he was doing that day, rolled his car, <coughs> broke his neck. And uh, so I visited him in his house. And he has halo on in his house. And uh, I, I said to him, well, has God got your attention? He said, yeah. He said, I'm really going to make my life different. I've been spared of his life. Right? He, he, here he was, could have easily died. God spared him. His halo realized that his life could have been over. God, God was gracious, didn't destroy them. You'd think his life would change. And how much did it change? Nothing. He's still back at it again. Shaking his fist at God. Doesn't have a godly heart at all. And so like with Israel, they should have been destroyed with the golden calf. But it's only because Moses stood in the breach that they didn't. Sin of idolatry. Unless we think, oh, idolatry is just worshiping other gods. Um, greed is idolatry, Paul says in Colossians 3. Big problem in America. There's a lot of greed. We have much, but we want more. Well, let's look on. Let's continue in the sin. Right? Verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe His word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, He swore to them that He would cast them down in the wilderness and that He would cast their seed among the nations and scatter them in the lands. This takes us back to Numbers 13 and 14. The twelve spies went to spot the land. The report back. It's overflowing with milk and honey and full of fruit, but also reported the strength of the people and the people who lived in the, the land caused the, the congregation to fear the Lord. And despite Joshua and Caleb's pleading, says, no, let's obey the Lord. Let's, let's follow His ways. He's promised. Look at all He's done before. He'll be faithful to us. Instead, Israel grumbled against Moses and said, would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would He have died in the wilderness? Why does the Lord bring us up from the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. This is a sin of unbelief. They didn't believe the promise of God. God said, go in, take the nation. And they didn't believe. They didn't act on that. In fact, things were so bad, people were ready to stone Moses and Aaron. And it was only because the glory of the Lord shone right at that moment that all the sons of Israel saw in the tent of meeting the glory had come that their threats were diminished. They were ready to pick up stones, but God, the Shekinah glory, showed and backed them off. God protected Aaron and Moses, it was, it was that close. That's when the Lord decreed they'd wander in the land for 40 years and everyone 20 years or older would die in the wilderness. But they didn't believe. And how like us is that when we don't believe the promises of God? You know His promise to take care of us. You know that God will provide all for our every need. We fail to believe in Christ. We want our sin more. We pursue our sin rather than believing in Jesus. And then things got worse. Verse 28, they joined themselves to Baal pure and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and interposed. So the plague was stayed and it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. And rather than remaining true to the Lord, the people of Israel played the harlot with the daughters of Moab. They attended sacrifices to other gods. They bowed down to their other gods. This is sin of apostasy. This is pursuing other gods. This is going from, from bad to worse. It's just the logical sequence after idolatry. is apostasy. 
In fact, at one point things were so bad that one of the sons of Israel brought to his relatives a Midianite woman. In the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of Israel, they're weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting for this plague. So in other words, right, they said uh, they're worshiping and things are bad. And this man takes this Midianite woman who was forbidden to take, walks right through the camp, says, oh, look at this. Look who I got. And went right into the tent to do their thing. And Israel, silent, stunned. And then it was Phineas who was so angered by the blatant sin that was being done. He took spear in hand, speared them both. You say it's a gruesome task, a gruesome act. It was a display of his hatred towards sin and his act checked the plague. Only 24,000 died. Had Phineas not come in and destroyed them, then more would have died. So is the sin of adultery. So is the sin of habitating with foreign women in the time of Israel. And it was bad. But Phineas gained this eternal priesthood. He was reckoned righteous because of his faith. God could easily have destroyed the generation, the whole, the whole congregation. But like Moses stood in the gap, Phineas in many ways stood in the gap and stopped it. Only 24,000 were killed and destroyed. Well, let's, let's go on. It continues to get worse. 30, 32. They also provoked him to wrath the waters of Meribah. So they went hard with Moses on their account because they were rebellious against his spirit. He spoke rashly with his lips. This refers to the time when Moses was angry at the people of Israel. I, I don't know exactly what sin to call this. I would call this maybe the sin of provocation. Both sides. People were angry with Moses, provoked at Moses, and Moses was provoked to the people. Patience ran out. This is maybe the sin of unpatience, if you will. Wasn't patient with them like, like God was. And Moses said, Numbers 20.10, Listen now, you rebels! Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And so that's when he struck the rock twice. Bang! Bang! Water came out, flowed abundantly, but God was not well pleased with Moses. We don't know exactly why. Could have been his attitude. Some say it's because he struck the rock twice. Very well. Could be there. Anyway, he couldn't enter the promised land. He was only allowed to see it from a distance up on Mount Nebo. There's consequence to sin. Okay? So don't, don't think that I'm preaching a message today because God's compassionate, you sin and do what you will. No, there's consequences to sin. But there's hope too. To cry out to the Lord because God, it could be worse. But God in His grace at least lets Moses see the land. But things still got worse. 34, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them. That brings us into the time of Joshua. God told them to destroy all the people within, but through a lack of faith they failed. Judges 1 tells of all the, the countries and all the tribes that didn't conquer everybody. Benjamin failed to drive the Jebusites out of Jerusalem. Manasseh didn't take possession of their land, nor did Ephraim or Zebulun or Asher or Naphtali or Dan. But instead, verse 35, right, they mingled with the nations and they learned their practices and they served their idols, which became a snare to them and calling this a sin of worldliness. Just letting whatever the world was be involved in that. And for Israel, it means that they learn their practices, right? Learning the ways of the world or they, they worship their idols, right? Whatever idols the world has. Let's just worship those American idols, right? Let's just pursue those things that people out there pursue. See, this is the story of the nation of Israel. They're not following the ways of the Lord. They're rebelling against the ways of the Lord. They're learning the ways of the world. And it gets worse. Even verse 37 says that they even sacrificed their sons and daughters to demon. 
to demons. How much worse can it get sacrificing your sons and daughters? Maybe it's not a lot different from abortion today in our land. Sacrificing sons and daughters because the world says, have your career. The world says, you can have your sex and not face the consequences of it. Lest we think that, oh, look at those guys. And particularly, it says in the Old Testament, Ahaz and Manasseh both offer their children the fire like God Molech did. Maybe we're doing the same thing. But listen, as bad as it is, there is grace in Christ. There is compassion. But it, it does get worse. And I think this is still more worldliness. They shed innocent blood. While their sons and daughters, and they sacrificed the idols of Canaan, the land was polluted with their blood. Thus they become unclean in their practices. They played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people, and He abhorred His inheritance. And then He gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. Many times He would deliver them. However, they were rebellious in their counsel. So they sank down in their iniquity. Which you even see here in verse, verse 43, it's an allusion, I think, to the judges. Remember the downward cycle of the judges that, that Israel would, would forsake the Lord and go and do their own thing and then they'd be in distress. They'd cry out to the Lord. The Lord would provide a deliverer for them that would help them for a little bit. Then when the deliverer died, they'd go even worse than before. Then they cried out and they called to Him and there's this cycle again and again. That's what verse 33, 43 is talking about. Many times He would deliver them. Many times. But they were rebellious and they sank down in iniquity. Just the very fact that Israel continued as a nation until Jesus came was an act of God's grace. The very fact that the Messiah could be born of a line of David was God's grace. He could have destroyed them, but God was compassionate. He was faithful, Psalm 105, to His covenant. This is the flip side of it. And in fact, I believe that's the point of the whole psalm. Verse 44, we get our second nevertheless. Nevertheless, He looked upon their cry, upon their distress. When He heard their cry, He remembered His covenant for their sake, relented according to the greatness of His loving kindness. He also made them objects of His compassion in the presence of all their captors. Please know that this is the way that God deals with His chosen ones. For those who are in their rebellion or discontent or jealousy or idolatry or unbelief or apostasy or provocation or worldliness. God, with His chosen ones, makes them objects of compassion. So we go astray. Listen, there's opportunity to return. So if you're in idolatry today or you're in discontent or in rebellion or in worldliness, know that there's an opportunity today to turn and repent and trust in Christ. And God will remember His covenant. We're no different than Israel. We deserve wrath. But as God was faithful to Israel, gracious to Israel, He'll be gracious to us if we but turn and repent. Well, only right response is 47-48. I'm calling it prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. The prayer comes in verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to Your holy name and glory in Your praise. There's the prayer. The praise comes in verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. 
And maybe there's some of you here today who are apart from the saving knowledge of Christ. It's a great prayer to pray. Maybe you're apart from the compassion of Christ. Maybe all you know is His wrath. Pray this prayer. Save us, O Lord our God. We are just like Israel. So save us, God. I just encourage you to believe in Christ. And for those of us who have known the grace and compassion of God, verse 48 is, right? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Alleluia. Can you say that with me? Alleluia. Alleluia. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that Psalm 106 would become a, a psalm that's cherished and loved here in this church family. Uh, so again, I confess that I... Uh, I barely knew this psalm, hardly at all, until a few weeks ago. I've been meditating on it and thinking on it and your grace and compassion to a, a stubborn and rebellious people. Father, we're thankful, O oh Lord, for your grace and kindness to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, would come to us and visit us in your compassion, your grace. Lord, I pray for a baptism service today. We pray that it would be a special day for Jared. We might support him in this. Lord, be a testimony to those who maybe are going to spend a day at the beach. God, be glorified and honor. Be honored in our midst. Uh, oh, God, help, help us, God, to turn away from sin. Help us to repent of our sin. We have sinned like our fathers. And may you, O oh Lord, be merciful to us like you're merciful to Israel. Faithful to the covenant, faithful to preserve them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.